chapter fifty three of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray chapter fifty three a critical chapter as fanny saw the two ladies and the anxious countenance of the elder who regarded her with a look of inscrutable alarm and terror the poor girl at once knew that pen's mother was before her there was a resemblance between the widow's haggard eyes and arthur's as he tossed in his bed in fever fanny looked wistfully at mrs pendennis and at laura afterwards there was no more expression in the latter's face than if it had been a mass of stone hard-heartedness and gloom dwelt on the figures of both the newcomers neither showed any the faintest gleam of mercy or sympathy for fanny she looked desperately from them to the major behind them old pendennis dropped his eyelids looking up ever so stealthily from under them at arthur's poor little nurse ay i wrote to you yesterday if you please ma'am fanny said trembling in every limb as she spoke and as pale as laura whose sad menacing face looked over mrs pendennis's shoulder did you madam mrs pendennis said i suppose i may now relieve you from nursing my son i am his mother you understand yes ma'am i this is the way to his oh wait a minute cried out fanny i must prepare you for his the widow whose face had been hopelessly cruel and ruthless here started back with a gasp and a little cry which she speedily stifled he's been so since yesterday fanny said trembling very much and with chattering teeth a horrid shriek of laughter came out of pen's room whereof the door was open and after several shouts the poor wretch began to sing a college drinking song and then to hurray and to shout as if he was in the midst of a wine-party and to thump with his fist against the wainscot he was quite delirious he does not know me ma'am fanny said indeed perhaps he will know his mother let me pass if you please and go in to him and the widow hastily pushed by little fanny and through the dark passage which led into pen's sitting-room laura sailed by fanny too without a word and major pendennis followed them fanny sat down on a bench in the passage and cried and prayed as well as she could she would have died for him and they hated her they had not a word of thanks or kindness for her the fine ladies she sat there in the passage she did not know how long they never came out to speak to her she sat there until dr goodenough came to pay his second visit that day he found the poor little thing at the door what nurse how's your patient asked the good-natured doctor has he had any rest go and ask them they're inside fanny answered who his mother fanny nodded her head and didn't speak you must go to bed yourself my poor little maid said the doctor you will be ill too if you don't oh mayn't i come and see him mayn't i come and see him i i love him so the little girl said and as she spoke she fell down on her knees and clasped hold of the doctor's hand in such an agony that to see her melted the kind physician's heart and caused a mist to come over his spectacles pooh pooh nonsense nurse has he taken his draught has he had any rest of course you must come and see him so must i they'll let me sit here won't they sir i'll never make a no noise i only ask to stop here fanny said on which the doctor called her a stupid little thing put her down upon the bench where pen's printer's devil used to sit so many hours 
tapped her pale cheek with his finger and bustled into the farther room mrs pendennis was ensconced pale and solemn in a great chair by pen's bedside her watch was on the bed-table by pen's medicines her bonnet and cloaks were laid in the window she had her bible in her lap without which she never travelled her first movement after seeing her son had been to take fanny's shawl and bonnet which were on his drawers and bring them out and drop them down upon his study-table she had closed the door upon major pendennis and laura too and taken possession of her son she had had a great doubt and terror lest arthur should not know her but that pang was spared to her in part at least pen knew his mother quite well and familiarly smiled and nodded at her when she came in he instantly fancied that they were at home at fair oaks and began to talk and chatter and laugh in a rambling wild way laura could hear him outside his laughter shot shafts of poison into her heart it was true then he had been guilty and with that creature an intrigue with a servant-maid and she had loved him and he was dying most likely raving and unrepentant the major now and then hummed out a word of remark or consolation which laura scarce heard a dismal sitting it was for all parties and when good enough appeared he came like an angel into the room it is not only for the sick man it is for the sick man's friends that the doctor comes his presence is often as good for them as for the patient and they long for him yet more eagerly how we have all watched after him what an emotion the thrill of his carriage wheels in the street and at length at the door has made us feel how we hang upon his words and what a comfort we get from a smile or two if he can vouchsafe that sunshine to lighten our darkness who hasn't seen the mother prying into his face to know if there is hope for the sick infant that cannot speak and that lies yonder its little frame battling with fever ah how she looks into his eyes what thanks if there is light there what grief and pain if he casts them down and dares not say hope or it is the house-father who is stricken the terrified wife looks on while the physician feels his patient's wrist smothering her agonies as the children have been called upon to stay their plays and their talk over the patient in the fever the wife expectant the children unconscious the doctor stands as if he were fate the dispenser of life and death he must let the patient off this time the woman prays so for his respite one can fancy how awful the responsibility must be to a conscientious man how cruel the feeling that he has given the wrong remedy or that it might have been possible to do better how harassing the sympathy with survivors if the case is unfortunate how immense the delight of victory having passed through a hasty ceremony of introduction to the newcomers of whose arrival he had been made aware by the heart-broken little nurse in waiting without the doctor proceeded to examine the patient about whose condition of high fever there could be no mistake and on whom he thought it necessary to exercise the strongest antiphlogistic remedies in his power he consoled the unfortunate mother as best he might and giving her the most comfortable assurances on which he could venture that there was no reason to despair yet that everything might still be hoped from his youth the strength of his constitution and so forth and having done his utmost to allay the horrors of the alarmed matron he took the elder pendennis aside into the vacant room warrington's bedroom for the purpose of holding a little consultation the case was very critical the fever if not stopped might and would carry off the young fellow he must be bled forthwith the mother must be informed of this necessity why was that other young lady brought with her she was out of place in a sick room and there was another woman still be hanged to it the major said the the little person who opened the door his sister-in-law had brought the poor little devil's bonnet and shawl out 
flung them upon the study table did good enough know anything about the the little person i just caught a glimpse of her as we passed in the major said and begad she was uncommonly nice-looking the doctor looked queer the doctor smiled in the very gravest moments with life and death pending such strange contrasts and occasions of humour will arise and such smiles will pass to satirise the gloom as it were and to make it more gloomy i have it at last he said re-entering the study and he wrote a couple of notes hastily at the table there and sealed one of them then taking up poor fanny's shawl and bonnet and the notes he went out in the passage to that poor little messenger and said quick nurse you must carry this to the surgeon and bid him come instantly and then go to my house and ask for my servant harbottle and tell him to get this prescription prepared and wait until i until it is ready it may take a little in preparation so poor fanny trudged away with her two notes and found the apothecary who lived in the strand hard by and who came straightway his lancet in his pocket to operate on his patient and then fanny made for the doctor's house in hanover square the doctor was at home again before the prescription was made up which took harbottle his servant such a long time in compounding and during the remainder of arthur's illness poor fanny never made her appearance in the quality of nurse at his chambers any more but for that day and the next a little figure might be seen lurking about penn's staircase a sad sad little face looked at and interrogated the apothecary and the apothecary's boy and the laundress and the kind physician himself as they passed out of the chambers of the sick man and on the third day the kind doctor's chariot stopped at shepherd's inn and the good and honest and benevolent man went into the porter's lodge and tended a little patient whom he had there for the best remedy he found was on the day when he was enabled to tell fanny bolton that the crisis was over and that there was at length every hope for arthur pendennis j costigan esq late of her majesty's service saw the doctor's carriage and criticised its horses and appointments green liveries bedad the general said and as foin a pair of high-stepping b horses as ever a gentleman need sit behind let alone a doctor there's no end to the poid and arrogance of them doctors nowadays not but that is a good one and a scientific character and a right good fellow bedad and he's brought the poor little girl well true her favour bows me boy and so pleased was mr costigan with the doctor's behaviour and skill that whenever he met dr goodenough's carriage in future he made a point of saluting it and the physician inside in as courteous and magnificent a manner as if dr goodenough had been the lord lieutenant himself and captain costigan had been in his glory in phoenix park the widow's gratitude to the physician knew no bounds or scarcely any bounds at least the kind gentleman laughed at the idea of taking a fee from a literary man or the widow of a brother practitioner and she determined when she got to fair oaks that she would send good enough the silver gilt vase the jewel of the house and the glory of the late john pendennis preserved in green bays and presented to him at bath by the lady elizabeth firebrace on the recovery of her son the late sir anthony firebrace from the scarlet fever hippocrates hygeia king blood dud and a wreath of serpents surmount the cup to this day which was executed in their finest manner by messrs abegnego of milsom street and the inscription was by mr birch a tutor to the young baronet this priceless gem of art the widow determined to devote to good enough the preserver of her son and there was scarcely any other favour which her gratitude would not have conferred upon him except one which he desired most and which was that she should think a little charitably and kindly of poor fanny of whose artless sad story he had got something during his interviews with her 
and of whom he was induced to think very kindly not being disposed indeed to give much credit to pen for his conduct in the affair or not knowing what that conduct had been he knew enough however to be aware that the poor infatuated little girl was without stain as yet that while she had been in pen's room it was to see the last of him as she thought and that arthur was scarcely aware of her presence and that she suffered under the deepest and most pitiful grief at the idea of losing him dead or living but on the one or two occasions when good enough alluded to fanny the widow's countenance always soft and gentle assumed an expression so cruel and inexorable that the doctor saw it was in vain to ask her for justice or pity and he broke off all entreaties and ceased making any further allusions regarding his little client there is a complaint which neither poppy nor mandragora nor all the drowsy syrups of the east could allay in the men in his time as we are informed by a popular poet of the days of elizabeth and which when exhibited in women no medical discoveries are practised subsequent neither homeopathy nor hydropathy nor mesmerism nor dr simpson nor dr locock can cure and that is we won't call it jealousy but rather gently denominate rivalry and emulation in ladies some of those mischievous and prosaic people who carp and calculate at every detail of the romancer and want to know for instance how when the characters in the critic are at a deadlock with their daggers at each other's throats they are to be got out of that murderous complication of circumstances may be induced to ask how it was possible in a set of chambers in the temple consisting of three rooms two cupboards a passage and a coal-box arthur a sick gentleman helen his mother laura her adopted daughter martha their country attendant mrs weezer a nurse from st bartholomew's hospital mrs flanagan an irish laundress major pendennis a retired military officer morgan his valet pigeon mr arthur pendennis's boy and others could be accommodated the answer is given at once that almost everybody in the temple was out of town that there was scarcely a single occupant of penn's house in lamb court except those who were occupied round the sick bed of the sick gentleman about whose fever we have not given a lengthy account neither enlarged we very much upon the more cheerful theme of his recovery everybody we have said was out of town and of course such a fashionable man as young mr sibright who occupied chambers on the second floor in penn's staircase could not be supposed to remain in london mrs flanagan mr pendennis's laundress was acquainted with mrs rouncey who did for mr sibright and that gentleman's bedroom was got ready for miss bell or mrs pendennis when the latter should be inclined to leave her son's sick-room to try and seek for a little rest for herself if that young buck and flower of baker street percy sibright could have known who was the occupant of his bedroom how proud he would have been of that apartment what poems he would have written about laura several of his things have appeared in the annuals and in manuscript in the nobility's albums he was a camford man and very nearly got the english prize poem it was said sibright however was absent and his bed given up to miss bell it was the prettiest little brass bed in the world with chintz curtains lined with pink he had a mignonette box in his bedroom window and the mere sight of his little exhibition of shiny boots arranged in trim rows over his wardrobe was a gratification to the beholder he had a museum of scent pomatum and bear's grease pots quite curious to examine too and a choice selection of portraits of females almost always in sadness and generally in disguise or deshabille glittered round the neat walls of his elegant little bower of repose medora with dishevelled hair was consoling herself over her banjo for the absence of her conrad the princess fleur de marie of rudelstein and the mystere de paris was sadly ogling out of the bars of her convent cage 
in which poor prison bird she was moulting away dorothea of don quixote was washing her eternal feet in fine it was such an elegant gallery as became a gallant lover of the sex and in sibright's sitting-room while there was quite an infantine law library clad in skins of fresh new-born calf there was a tolerably large collection of classical books which he could not read and of english and french works of poetry and fiction which he read a great deal too much his invitation cards of the past season still decorated his looking-glass and scarce anything told of the lawyer but the wig box beside the venus upon the middle shelf of the bookcase on which the name of p sibright esq was gilded with sibright in chambers was mr bangham mr bangham was a sporting man married to a rich widow mr bangham had no practice did not come to chambers thrice in a term went to search for those mysterious reasons which make men go circuit and his room served as a great convenience to sibright when that young gentleman gave his little dinners it must be confessed that these two gentlemen have nothing to do with our history will never appear in it again probably but we cannot help glancing through their doors as they happen to be open to us and as we pass to pen's rooms as in the pursuit of our own business in life through the strand at the club nay at church itself we cannot help peeping at the shops on the way or at our neighbour's dinner or at the faces under the bonnets in the next pew very many years after the circumstances about which we are at present occupied laura with a blush and a laugh showing much humour owned to having read a french novel once much in vogue and when her husband asked her wondering where on earth she could have got such a volume she owned that it was in the temple when she lived in mr percy sibright's chambers and also i never confess she said on that same occasion what i must now own to that i opened the japan box and took out the strange-looking wig inside it and put it on and looked at myself in the glass in it suppose percy sibright had come in at such a moment as that what would he have said the enraptured rogue what would have been all the pictures of disguised beauties in his room compared to that living one ah we are speaking of old times when sibright was a bachelor and before he got a, a county court when people were young when most people were young other people are young now but we no more when miss laura played this prank with the wig you can't suppose that pen could have been very ill upstairs otherwise though she had grown to care for him ever so little common sense of feeling and decorum would have prevented her from performing any tricks or trying any disguises but all sorts of events had occurred in the course of the last few days which had contributed to increase or account for her gaiety and a little colony of the reader's old friends and acquaintances was by this time established in lamb court temple and round pen's sick-bed there first martha mrs pendennis's servant had arrived from fair oaks being summoned thence by the major who justly thought her presence would be comfortable and useful to her mistress and her young master for neither of whom the constant neighbourhood of mrs flanagan who during pen's illness required more spiritous consolation than ever to support her could be pleasant martha then made her appearance in due season to wait upon mr pendennis nor did that lady go once to bed until the faithful servant had reached her when with a heart full of maternal thankfulness she went and lay down upon warrington's straw mattress and among his mathematical books as has been already described it is true that ere that day a great and delightful alteration in pen's condition had taken place the fever subjugated by good enough's blisters potions and lancet had left the young man or only returned at intervals of feeble intermittence his wandering senses had settled in his weakened brain he had had time to kiss and bless his mother for coming to him and calling for laura and his uncle who were both affected according to their different natures by his wan appearance his lean shrunken hands his hollow eyes and voice his thin bearded face to press their hands and thank them 
affectionately and after this greeting and after they had been turned out of the room by his affectionate nurse he had sunk into a fine sleep which had lasted for about sixteen hours at the end of which period he woke calling out that he was very hungry if it is hard to be ill and to loathe food oh how pleasant to be getting well and to be feeling hungry how hungry alas the joys of convalescence become feebler with increasing years as other joys do and then and then comes that illness when one does not convalesce at all on the day of this happy event too came another arrival in lamb court this was introduced into the pen warring sitting-room by large puffs of tobacco smoke the puffs of which were followed by an individual with a cigar in his mouth and a carpet-bag under his arm this was warrington who had run back from norfolk when mr bowes thoughtfully wrote to inform him of his friend's calamity but he had been from home when bowes's letter had reached his brother's house the eastern counties did not then boast of a railway for we beg the reader to understand that we only commit anachronisms when we choose and when by a daring violation of those natural laws some great ethical truth is to be advanced in fine warrington only appeared with the rest of the good luck upon the lucky day after penn's convalescence may have been said to have begun his surprise was after all not very great when he found the chambers of his sick friend occupied and his old acquaintance the major seated demurely in an easy chair warrington had let himself into the rooms with his own pass-key listening or pretending to listen to a young lady who was reading to him a play of shakespeare in a low sweet voice the lady stopped and started and laid down her book at the apparition of the tall traveller with the cigar and the carpet-bag he blushed he flung the cigar into the passage he took off his hat and dropped that too and going up to the major seized that old gentleman's hand and asked questions about arthur the major answered in a tremulous though cheery voice it was curious how emotion seemed to old in him and returning warrington's pressure with a shaking hand told him the news of arthur's happy crisis of his mother's arrival with her young charge with miss you need not tell me her name mr warrington said with great animation for he was affected and elated with the thought of his friend's recovery you need not tell me your name i knew at once it was laura and he held out his hand and took hers immense kindness and tenderness gleamed from under his rough eyebrows and shook his voice as he gazed at her and spoke to her and this is laura his looks seemed to say and this is warrington the generous girl's heart beat back arthur's hero the brave and the kind he has come hundreds of miles to succour him when he heard of his friend's misfortune thank you mr warrington was all that laura said however and as she returned the pressure of his kind hand she blushed so that she was glad the lamp was behind her to conceal her flushing face as these two were standing in this attitude the door of penn's bedchamber was opened stealthily as his mother was wont to open it and warrington saw another lady who first looked at him and then turning round towards the bed said hist and put up her hand it was to penn helen was turning and giving caution he called out with a feeble tremulous but cheery voice come in stunner come in warrington i knew it was you by the by the smoke old boy he said as holding his worn hand out and with tears at once of weakness and pleasure in his eyes he greeted his friend i i beg pardon ma'am for smoking warrington said who now almost for the first time blushed for his wicked propensity helen only said god bless you mr warrington she was so happy she would have liked to kiss george then after the friends had had a brief very brief interview the delighted and inexorable mother giving her hand to warrington sent him out of the room too back to laura and the major who had not resumed their play of sibylline where they had left it off at the arrival of the rightful owner of penn's chambers End of chapter fifty three